0: You can never hold back spring. <laughs> we might not get much of a summer in this country, but we're always guaranteed a spring. That is to say that every year, things that appear dead and dormant will, will blossom and flourish and grow. Um, if you're in the business of farming or growing vegetables in particular, You'll know that this season is called the starvation season, and that's because everything you planted, everything you invested, you're yet to see um, come to pass. Um, so you, you've got a lot of uh, apparently dead and dormant on, ground, but it's not dead and dormant. Yeah. We might call it starvation season, but you can never hold back spring. Amen. 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 Hmm. Got a parable for you, sticking with the same theme the parable of the spring onions. (laughs) You won't find it in the Bible, by the way. (laughs) 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 Hmm. Okay. Once there was a a gardener who went to his allotment about a year ago. and um, went with, with anticipation and, and uh, a sense of excitement, because in his hand was a packet of seeds. And on that packet of seeds was the label, Spring Onions, Lisbon, that's the type, 1,000 seeds, 1,000 seeds. He didn't bother to count them. He just went to the allotment, in faith, <laughs> with a good sense of mathematics. And, um, He went into the greenhouse and began to open the packet, and such was his excitement that his hands were trembling, with nervous anticipation, uh, so that he dropped his first batch or pinch of seeds that came out of the packet. And the the seeds scattered and fell to the ground. That sounds like a parable, doesn't it? The seeds scattered and fell to the ground. They fell to the dirty ground, because the gardener hadn't bothered to clean his greenhouse. There's <laughs> mm. mm. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> many, la- many layers to that humor, David. <laughs> many layers. Uh, so the, the gardener exclaimed with a loud curse and cursed the seeds for falling to the ground. Such was the volume of his curse that many people around the allotment lifted their hands <laughs> lifted their heads and looked over to see what was going on. The gardener soon learned that people in glass houses shouldn't... And immediately after the gardener had let a curse from his lips and cursed the seeds for falling to the ground, he received a revelation from God. The revelation was this. It was a question at first. Why do you... Why do you curse the seeds just because they've fallen to the ground? Imagine if I did that every time one of my seeds fell to the ground and was lost or fell away or fell to the dirty ground. That was the, that was the, the gist of the, uh, the question. And I knew it was God. Sorry, the gardener knew. <laughs> okay, it's about me, all right? I knew it was God. Um, and as well as feeling really really quite bad for um, what came out of my mouth. Um, I was really challenged, actually. I was really challenged because what God was saying was, um, you know, you, you, the, the detail I missed out was that I immediately went to get some more seeds from the packet, thinking, well, you know, a few dozen have fallen to the ground, but I've got plenty more in this packet. And again, it was impressed upon me that that God was saying, imagine if I did that every time I lost some people, you know, that I just went back to the packet, so to speak. There's plenty more people on this planet I can invest in. And it was investment that God was talking to me about. Um, And the word investment really really weighed heavily on me. Um, And I saw that actually, rather than cursing those lost seeds, I was to invest in them. Because like God sees potential in us, I looked at those seeds, although I couldn't see them, they were on the dirty ground. I looked at where the seeds were and I saw that each one had potential. Right. So I did something that I've never done before and I'll probably never do again. I got down very close to the floor, put my head along the ground so I could see, and picked up every single one of those seeds. Well, as many as I could find. I picked them up and I and I began to plant them again instead of going to the the convenience of the the packet of 936 seeds or however many. So I invested in every single one of those lost seeds. And I believe God was was showing me that you can reverse a curse with a blessing of investment. So I planted them and uh, they, they grew, they were fine. And um, I picked them, and I had lovely spring onions. But this year, I didn't plant any spring onions. Um, that was partly because, bizarrely, the spring onions that I planted—and I did, didn't—this didn't occur to me to about till about 20 minutes ago. The spring onions that I planted came back, and they came back bigger and stronger. I received a double portion. Look. These were the seeds that I planted. These are the little spring onions. Look at the size of them. I know, I know, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is only about five seeds worth, yeah. I thought I'd bring them in and show you what happens when we invest and we turn around a curse with a blessing. (laughs) The parable of the spring onions. If you want to take some of those at the end, you're quite welcome to. I think there's a a significance there, yeah? So if you want to take some, whether you feel they're significant or not, or whether you just fancy a stir-fry, help yourself. (laughs) Practical (laughs) and (laughs) spiritual. You know, what I learned... What I learned about investment and potential was that when God looks at us and sees potential, it's not like a school teacher looking at children just, just about to write a report and seeing potential. It's different, okay? Let me reveal to you what a teacher means usually when they talk about potential. When they talk about potential, usually they mean that this child could go places, could go far, could achieve, could get 10 out of 10, could do well in their A-levels, if, if they get their head down, if they knuckle down, if they stop messing about, if they start listening in the class. So there are always conditions attached to a teacher's view of potential. And that's a generalization, of course. You know, when I, when I uh, have been teaching kids year after year, of course I see more than that in them. But the, there's a very human thing of viewing somebody's potential and, and putting conditions on it. So it's like, you know, if you don't achieve that potential, it's nobody's fault but your own, you know, because I've given you those conditions, you know. If you do this, this, and this, you could achieve your potential. It's kind of almost a way of dismissing somebody, isn't it? When God looks at us and sees potential, it's not like that, okay? God sees potential in us, not based on what we could do, but based on what we are, and that's different. Okay, So I want you to, to rethink how you see potential. When God sees your potential, it's based on what you are. Yeah. There's a unique coding in you. There's a unique uh, DNA. There's a unique uh, potential in you. And God sees that. All right. God doesn't see what you might become if you get on a certain train at a certain time or make the right decision in two days' time. No, no. God sees the potential based on what you actually, actually, truly are. Hmm. So don't worry about making the wrong choices in the future, and by that I mean sometimes we, we feel that our destiny is dependent on us making certain choices, should I go for this job or this job, Sh- you know, shall I, um, shall I propose to this person or this person, <laughs> 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 right. back to my notes. <laughs> delete okay (laughs) you know the point I'm making now. (laughs) so we're looking at Hebrews okay we're looking at Hebrews just a show of hands if you were here last week when Peter introduced this just Deborah oh a few more of you okay (laughs) you know uh, I'm really glad that Peter introduced that Um, it kind of set the scene, but it also, and I think this is, this is a brilliant teaching strategy, it raised more questions than, than gave answers. You know, it, ma- it made us think. Hopefully, it encouraged you to go and read and, and think deeper about this because Hebrews is a very intriguing, very um, challenging letter. So when I read through Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, I'm going to read through it once, okay? Uh, So if you haven't done your homework, now I'm a teacher, if you haven't done your homework, (laughs) you'll have to read and listen extra hard. (laughs) I believe that all of us, this is potential, I believe that all of us will receive revelation over the next few weeks, the next few months, as we go through Hebrews. You know, there 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 are kind of downloads of revelation just waiting for you to be in the right place. And by that I mean, you know, we're on a journey together, okay? And sometimes revelation comes, not because God changes or the Bible changes and our view of it changes, but actually because we change. So when we're ready, when we, we've journeyed enough, when we've grown enough, that's when the revelation happens, okay? So that is going to happen to us on this journey. The question is, are you, are you ready for this journey? Yeah. Yes. Sure? sure. Yeah. sure? Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so let's journey together through Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 1. Seamless. Hebrews chapter 1, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, sins, all of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Hmm. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hmm. There's something in this passage that sets out positions. It sets out perhaps to a confused, bewildered bunch of followers back in the day. Perhaps it sets out to some of them for the first time where Jesus was and where he is now, his position now. I think it also sets out the position of angels. Why is that important? Well, perhaps at the time, perhaps people had wrong impressions of angels or perhaps wrong impressions of their own position, because when we we establish what Jesus' position is, we need to also look at ourselves and be sure of what our position is, okay? We sang a song this morning all about God's position, Jesus' position, uh, and it was Almost every line began with, we believe. Did you sing it? Okay, so hopefully you believe it. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not gonna totally undo it all now. (laughs) I sang it and I believe believe it as well, you know. But it's about what we believe about Jesus. When you sing that and you know what you believe about yourself and your own position, it adds a really important Um, kind of dimension to that song. In fact, when you read anything about Jesus' position at the right hand of the Father, walking here on earth, uh, dying at the cross, being raised again, his changing positions, when you you read that and believe that, it's really important to, to, to ask yourself, well, where does that leave me? What is my position now? And I think his followers would have asked that question, you know, where does that leave us? You know that, That's great going up through the clouds, but where does that leave us? <laughs> they probably didn't say that, but the point is they felt, they felt at some point that they'd been kind of left and abandoned. They did. Jesus came back particularly to tell them what he was leaving them with, didn't he? Yeah? What did he send? The Holy Spirit. That's important too. <laughs> In fact, it's crucial. Going back to Adam and Eve and the fall. After the fall, Adam and Eve were turfed out of paradise, weren't they? They, were t- they, they had to leave the Garden of Eden. And there was an angel, a cherubim, uh, cherubs aren't little cute toddlers with wings stuck to their back. You know, they're, they're huge, scary angels, by all accounts. If, if it just took one cherubim to guard the way back into Eden, I'd imagine it wasn't a little toddler with a toy <laughs> sword, you know. So a cherubim was placed um, in front of the entrance back into Eden. That would imply to me that after the fall, we were, we were positioned lower than angels. Okay, if we weren't, we could, we could instruct the angel to move out of the way and let us back in. If we weren't, we wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have posi- uh, God wouldn't have positioned a, an angel to, to guard the, the entrance, you know. Uh, if our position is higher than, than angels at that time, then surely we, we could just brush it aside. So after the fall, I believe we were positioned lower than angels. In fact, it says of Jesus that for a time, he was positioned a little lower than the angels. When was that time? Well, it was the time he walked on earth as a man. I think ever since the fall, we've been trying to reposition ourselves and failing every time. Because not only were we positioned lower than angels, we were also positioned to be in a relationship with, to some degree, a distant and fearful God. And again, we've been trying to reposition ourselves ever since. And if you think about Peter's teaching on on the Old Covenant and what that was like, that's kind of a, a picture of us trying to reposition ourselves, reposition ourselves, get ourselves back in the frame, and it just didn't work. Another example of angels being um, positioned above us is, is just really, if you look through the Old Testament at how people responded when angels appeared, it was always cowering and with fear or with. Kind of that, that respect that only comes of rec- from recognizing that I am, am, in effect, I am serving you. You are above me. Think about Joshua as he approached Jericho, you know, all ready to attack the city. And he was, he was stopped in his tracks by a, a man with a sword. And he asked him, he asked the man with the sword, kind of, are you a friend or a foe? You know, are you on our side or their side? And the, the man with the sword responded, neither, neither but I am sent here um, as commander of the Lord's army. Woo. okay. That's the sort of person you want to say, yeah, I'm on your side, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, don't worry, mate, I'm with you. But he didn't, okay? That would imply to me that there's a, a different position there. Do you see what I mean? There's a different position there. Where am I going with this? Well, when we read, First chapter of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus' position and the position of a- angels. It says, When did I ever say of the angels that you are at my right hand, that you are higher, that you are, etc., etc.? So, um, God, through this passage, is establishing where Jesus is now, what his position is, and that it's higher than the angels. Okay? And he ends, and I'll read this bit To which of the angels? Did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? There's a changing position again. Okay? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Who are those people? Us. Yeah, be sure of that. Be sure of that. Yes, us. So angels are ministering spirits sent to serve us. So now we've shifted position again, haven't we? And that shift of position from being lower than angels to being people that angels are sent to serve and minister to is exactly what the new covenant brings about. I'm not going to talk too much about that because actually I want to leave you with some questions quite deliberately. But the biggest question is, if I accept and believe that Jesus's position is, is on high, next to God, where does that leave me? What is my position? And I think that the revelation that will come during this journey of, of studying Hebrews will be along the lines of you uh, realizing to a deeper level what your position is in Christ, what your position is in Christ. And I'll give you a little clue It's really good news. (laughs) It's really good news. Hmm. Maybe some people needed to hear that. Because I've... I'll tell you a bit about me growing up. I've grown up in church, okay? Grown up in church. Some might argue that I haven't yet grown up in church. And I might agree with them. (laughs) Um, And by that I mean... I, I. there hasn't been a time in my, my being born, my upbringing, um, that I haven't been kind of associated with a church, okay? Now that's, that's, I'm not saying that as a bad thing or a good thing, that's just my life, my life experience, okay? And um, there weren't many, uh, weren't many times, you, maybe you can identify with this if you've had a similar upbringing, that if you grow up in church, it almost makes you um, immune or certainly impervious to revelation or to kind of being totally bowled over by the wonder of... Isn't that awful? because <laughs> If you go to church a lot, you end up not hearing from God a lot. But that's kind of what happens. You know, I've become... Not become, but certainly growing up, I became so used to people, you know, speaking in tongues or, or doing slightly bonkers things, or, or, or certainly um, evangelizing, you know, left, right, and center, um, that I became kind of immune to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hmm. I just want to show you a couple of slides now. They're slides that Peter showed and shared. Um, if we could have the first one, Peter. Okay, this might be familiar to you. This will become more and more Um, relevant and understandable as this series progresses okay it shows in a very mathematical way I have to say um, the covenants the covenants of the Old Testament okay leading to the Mosaic Covenant which um, which you can see didn't stop with with Jesus Jesus' crucifixion, that it continued, but there was a time where the new covenant was, was beginning and becoming uh, to be in place, in position, and the old covenant, the Mosaic co- covenant, was still in place. That must have been a, a really confusing time for followers. You know, th- those followers who were already bewildered by Jesus not being around anymore, and what does that mean, we believed in you, etc. That's a confusing period of time, those 40 years. And Hebrews was written towards the end of that time. That's significant. Another uh, slide Ah. Peter shared with us in his teaching. And if you didn't hear the introduction to Hebrews, um, Peter talking about this, I would urge you to to listen on our, I think it's now on SoundCloud, is that right? Yep, on our webcast, podcast, pod site, internet web thing. (laughs) Okay, Peter talked about um, that we, we, we kind of go through and into different realms. And this is, this is almost my, my life story here, <laughs> from my upbringing to where I am now. And I want to show you this, uh, to show you that we are on a journey. Okay, we are on a journey. And like all journeys, we don't all walk at the same pace, side by side. All right. This journey that we're on is not like all of us stepping on to a new realm together at exactly the same time and riding the escalator until we find a new realm to step onto. That's not how it works. You know, to some degree, you know, I, I think we're we're sort of we're in more than one of these realms. It's not like a, in a way it is progressive. In another way, it's not. My upbringing was very much in the church realm. You know, I, church was kind of what you did. It was where you went, and you met other people who who believed the same thing. I'm saying this in the past tense, like it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's in the context of my upbringing. I found that uh, the older I got, the more weird and slightly embarrassing I, I found that. You know, to go and meet the same people every weekend who talked about the same things, who sang the same songs, who seemed to get really excited about something that was actually I heard every week, you know. To me, growing up, uh, that, that, it was quite uh, irrelevant, actually, to my interests. Um, that's not to say that I, I didn't have a real faith and a real belief in God. I don't know a time where, where I didn't. Even as a baby, you know, I knew God. I can say that. Even as a baby, I knew God. I knew that God was real. Um, And God used to show me things, reveal things to me, even as a baby, even as a toddler. So that wasn't in question. What was in question is, how come this God that I believe in is somehow meant to fit and condense into this tiny little church, you know, with the top screwed on every Sunday? You know, right, everyone's here. Let's worship, you know? (laughs) If you're listening on the podcast, that was the sound of me screwing a lid on a, a church. <laughs> I bet you're glad you're asked. Hmm. That that model of church, the church realm, is like a it's like a sheepfold, you know, with all the sheep inside and a nice fence or wall all to keep us safe and to keep us from straying. That model depicted here is is kind of a an old model of church. right I would even go as far as to say it's an old covenant model of church the fact that we all we all meet and to some degree we keep the bad stuff out and the good stuff in Um, except that doesn't really work in real life does it you know there is some bad stuff in here and there's some good stuff out there (laughs) I felt a bit like a sheep at times growing up you know trapped in this this weird community (laughs) <laughs> in fact, um, I'll just compare it to, to another model of church. Here's another model of church. That's a water hole in the middle. This is an Australian sheep farm where they don't have any perimeter fences. Okay, there's too, there's, there's, They can't contain all the sheep. They can't contain them. But what keeps the sheep in, in the centre? What keeps the sheep safe? What keeps the sheep, nourish, the sheep nourished is the fact that they're drawn to the water, they're drawn to the source, instead of being contained by something external. That's different, isn't it? That's different. This is the church that I'm loving uh, journeying through, I have to say. This is made, this is one of the things that's made for me doing church really relevant and really exciting. Okay, I've kind of grown up a bit. And, and so has church, I think. Yeah. <laughs> church has grown up a bit. <laughs> it's gone to Australia. <laughs> he said in a Welsh accent. I'm not very good at accents. <laughs> right. I'm going to look at my notes, because I might say something that I've actually planned. <laughs> Yeah, I was talking to you about revelation. You know, revelation... Revelation is not just about God zapping something into you. It's also about where you are, your position, okay? Revelation isn't random. I don't believe it is anyway. That changing position means that we view permanent structures differently as we move and grow. Permanent structures like the Bible. Permanent structures like um, our church structures. Permanent structures like God. God is a permanent structure, and yet we view Him differently because because of where we are, our changing position. It's like journeying every couple of weeks up the same mountain on a walk. Now, that that mountain looks different depending on where you are as you journey around the mountain, you know, whether you view it from the top, whether you view it from another mountain, it's different. And it's because of our position, not the mountain's position. The mountain doesn't move, but we view it differently depending on where we are. So when you get revelation, and by revelation I mean when you get an insight into something that you've seen quite a few times that's that's quite familiar to you. It could be a scripture, it could be a a word, it could be a worship song. When you get that revelation suddenly, don't be surprised and also be assured that you've received that because you're ready for it. When you receive revelation, you still have a choice to do nothing or to do something. With revelation, there's no going back, though. There's only going forward or staying put it's often safest it's often safest to do nothing with revelation if your definition of of safe is to stay put to bury your head in the sand and and put walls around your house an example of this recently in my work I often um, go and visit schools and 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 um, walk around look at lessons uh, and give my view as to as to, you know, what's going well, etc., etc. I went in a lesson, and the teacher said to me, um, oh, you'll love this. We're, we're doing some maths, but on each table, there's, there's a, we're going to try and break the world record. And I thought, fantastic idea. But five-year-olds and six-year-olds breaking world records. So they had to do the, the highest something, you know, the highest stack of pennies. And, and it was just great, you know. One of the tables was uh, a game called Chubby Bunnies. <laughs> Familiar with it? It's where you, you stuff a marshmallow in your mouth, and you've got to say, Chubby Bunny. Genius. Then you put another one in, you've got to say, Chubby Bunny. Then you've got, and you keep going until you either keel over, or you break the world record. <laughs> That's how it works, okay? Um, at that point, I, I had a real panic come over me, because it, just recently I had read that in America, several children had, had choked to death by playing that game, And here I was in a school where the teacher was just about to let her 5- and 6-year-olds play this game. I had received revelation. (laughs) This is the thing about revelation. You know, you've got a choice, haven't you? Once once something's been opened to you, once you're aware of something to an extra level, you've got a choice to do nothing or to do something. Okay? You're all thinking, what did he do, Richard? If I'm honest, I did nothing. I didn't want to, I, I didn't think it was my place to, to break the, the flow of the lesson. I was praying really hard <laughs> as I sat in that classroom, you know. I didn't want to, I also didn't want to, to um, I can't think what the, what the phrase is, I didn't want to crush this teacher. It was quite a newly qualified teacher, it was really enthusiastic. I didn't want to say, you can't do that maybe i should have i don't i don't know i don't know what the wrong or right thing was to do but i did know that i had received revelation and at that point i chose to do nothing with it okay i even took part in the chubby bunnies <laughs> i didn't want to appear a total hypocrite <laughs> now you know about the dangers of ch- this is yeah now you know about the dangers of chubby bunnies and now you've got a choice haven't you yeah You will often hear You will often hear around revelation. This is in, in, the, in the big, wide world. You will often hear comments that sh- reveal that people are not prepared to do anything with what has been revealed to them. OK? I know this in my workplace. I know this because I work for the council, that you will often hear comments like) um, Uh, That's health and safety gone mad, yeah? Have you heard that before? Health and safety gone mad. As if somebody is put on this planet to go mad with health and safety. Whoa! (laughs) Political correctness gone mad, yeah? The council are often accused of political correctness gone mad. And at first, I was on the side of the people accusing. But now I know what's behind political correctness Actually, compassion and care is behind political correctness. It doesn't sound like it, does it? It's almost become a, a dirty word, you know, oh, political correctness. That's so politically correct. Actually, what's behind that is, is the, the, um, the desire to, to ensure that everybody feels safe, everybody feels protected, everybody feels valued, etc., etc. Those are good things. So when somebody says political correctness gone mad, perhaps they mean that I'm, I've had something revealed to me, but I'm not prepared to do anything about it. Yeah? It's the same with health and safety gone mad. You know What's behind health and safety? There's a clue in the title. What's behind health and safety is health and safety. <laughs> <laughs> Religion gone mad. Religion gone mad. Fundamentalism gone mad. These accusations are often, they often come from people who are not prepared to move with the revelation they've received. That's all I'm saying. If we stifle every revelation for fear of going mad, we perpetuate the status quo. We perpetuate apathy. We perpetuate stagnation. Hmm. So me growing up in the church realm, um, yeah, I, uh, some of my memories of growing up in church and how kind of weird it was, <laughs> I won't share them all, um, I've got many. The whole thing of evangelism, okay, now evangelism, what's behind it is, is really good a really good desire to to spread the gospel. But my experience of evangelism in this kind of contained church was the evangelists used to come to the church that was full of Christians who had been Christians for years and try and get us to to make a commitment to something we'd already, you know. So I did, you know, year after year. I used to make a commitment, partly just to make make them feel a bit okay about their evangelism. (laughs) Testimonies. You know, t- to, a, to a young teenager in church who still hasn't plucked up the courage to not go to church, <laughs> people's testimonies can really grate on you. Let me give you an example. Okay, yeah, thanks for getting me up to share. Uh, hi, hi, kids, yeah, stay in church, yeah. Okay, don't be like me, you know. I, I was a wild child, whoa, I... Some of the parties I used to go to, I'll tell you. I've you know, I've been around the world, I've experienced so many things, I've tried other religions, you know, like I tried uh, Buddhism, Hinduism in, in India, had a had a time in India. I could tell you all day about my time in India on those beautiful beaches, but just 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 the sin, man, the sin, it was just and and the women, oof. I'm ashamed to say, kids, that I've lost count of how many women I've had relationships with. And by relationships, I don't mean relationships, kids. Anyway, I've seen the light. I've found the answer. And now I'm here in Ashington, or wherever, (laughs) in this little tiny church, and I know my calling. You know, I've, I've finally come home. So, kids... My message to you is be more like me, but not like the person I was, like the person I am now here in this little church. Do you see what effect that might have on a teenager? I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to be like you now, because I've been like you now for all of my life. I want to be like the person experiencing the stuff on the beaches in India. It's a nightmare testimony. So here I am, this little sheep in the fold, you know, all the time looking at the grass on the other side of the fence, thinking... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Where am I going with this? I've no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I've run out of notes. I think the point is that we, you know... We do church, and we still do church, but there is more to life, isn't there, than coming into the fold? Mm-hmm. Now, coming into the fold or, or meeting together is really important, okay? Um, but don't make that <laughs> don't make that your realm. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> It's very difficult to go on a journey if you come back every night to the same sheepfold, isn't it? No, it's very difficult to be on a journey and that's what we're on, I believe. You know, so let me give you an example. The job you do Monday to Friday, that's part of your journey, that's part of your ministry and it's not something that you, um, you do to enable you to afford the bus fare to get to church on a Sunday. Okay? You've got to see it as being more than that. I work with so many people, or have worked with so many people over the years, that do this thing on a Friday, when I say good morning to them, I'm coming into work, oh, morning Carl, morning, yep. How are you doing? Oh, fine, it's Friday. You know, that that response, oh, good, thanks, it's Friday. I don't celebrate Friday like that, you know? In fact, sometimes I sarcastically say, yeah, only two days till Monday. Doesn't go down very well. The point is, the point is, if you go to work, and all the time you just can't wait for Friday because it's the weekend, and then Sunday afternoon you get that sinking feeling of, oh, it's Monday tomorrow, Monday blues. If you live for years and years like that, what does that say about your journey? What does that say about your ministry? Take the challenge. Let's celebrate Monday. (laughs) Seriously. Think of the opportunities for you tomorrow. Hmm. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this down. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. Yeah. We, were re- we were redeemed. When he took his rightful place beside the Father, we took our place which we had no right to do beside the father, adopted family members. We've got no right to be there. It says in Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So when you get the revelation about your position in Christ and in the kingdom, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? The end. (laughs) Or is it dot, dot, dot. (laughs)